On January 20th, 2001, before a crowd of over 300,000, Chief Justice William Rehnquist administered the oath of office to George W. Bush as the 43rd President of the United States. And from that point forward, 2001 proved to be just as bizarre, amazing, and disturbing as the 1968 Stanley Kubrick film of the same name. It was indeed something akin to a space odyssey, monoliths and all. Stick around, and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. At the start of my second semester of my freshman year, my roommate Phil had moved out, and I had the room to myself, which was awesome. We had another fun semester, hanging out with friends, playing video games, staying up all night, all the normal freshman year stuff that you do. Um, nothing super notable about that spring semester, except that I broke up with Casey at some point during that semester. And it was fine, everything was good, but it was time for us to go our separate ways, and that was cool. So now I'm free again, um, I'm, I'm just a free guy in the world, and I start thinking about uh, my summer plans as the semester starts to wrap up. And I really didn't wanna move back to Little Rock but I also didn't really want to stay in Fayetteville. And so I was kind of looking for options and things to do uh, outside of Arkansas, really. I wanted to go and have an adventure because, you know, I had the whole whole summer. So a friend of mine had told me that this whitewater rafting company in Colorado was hiring for the summer. And I had actually been there before because my senior year of high school, uh, a, a group of us from church uh, went out to um, Colorado and did the whole backpacking, whitewater rafting thing with this company there called Noah's Ark. And a few people that I'd known from Little Rock were working out there pretty much every summer. And so one of them said to me, hey, you should come out to Noah's Ark and see if you can get a job out here as a river guide. So I apply for a job at Noah's Ark. And long story short, we go through these interview process, blah, 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 applications, references, all this stuff. And at the end of it, they came back and told me, that they didn't have any first year river guide jobs available, but they were happy to offer me a job washing dishes. And I had worked as a dishwasher at Chick-fil-A and I was a dishwashing professional. So I was happy to take that job. It was in Colorado. It came with a measly salary and a free place to live and promise of adventure and fun. So I took the job at Noah's Ark and in May, you know, I pack up all my stuff, move out of my dorm room, and hit the road. And driving out was just like this amazing experience of just, you know what it felt like to just be free and young and have nothing but the road in front of you. And I had this massive Case Logic CD case, you know, with the zipper on it. It was like the 96 CD case thing. And I was just flipping through and just cranking out all the tunes of the day. And just driving out was so exciting and so fun. And I pull into town, into Buena Vista, Colorado, show up at the place and get my like housing assignment, which was at this place called the Red House, which is basically just a frat house, but for like Christian whitewater rafting guides and the few of us that actually did work in the kitchen. So it was like a totally wholesome environment. Um, but 
it was also very like adventurous, you know, that it was all people that like to hike, camp, rock climb, that kind of thing. So I fit in perfectly there. I start washing dishes at Noah's and it was totally fun. You know, I, I, I like washing dishes. I had my little setup in there. There was two other dishwashers there that were working with me. My, my friends, John and Craig, uh, who were also from Arkansas. There was a lot of Arkansas people working there and the river that they rafted on was the Arkansas river. So it was just really cool. It felt like a very Arkansas experience out in the real world. And one of my jobs as a dishwasher was to grill burgers for the rafting groups that would come in. So in the kitchen itself, they did all the real cooking, but there was this giant grill down the hill from the kitchen under this pavilion where everybody ate. And it was us dishwashers kind of split up the grilling job. And I think I was the only one that really enjoyed it. So I did most of the grilling and they had this massive grill that was like basically the size of like a picnic table, like the top of it was, the actual grill surface was like that big. And this is kind of a funny story, but one time I was getting ready to grill and just like I had done every other day, I would uh, turn on the burners and then reach down below the grill and there was this shelf where we had a box of matches. And so I would turn on the burners, reach down, grab the matches, strike a match, light the grill, and then, you know, get going with the grilling and everything. But this one time, somebody had moved the box of matches. So I turn on the burners I reach down below for the matches and they're not there. I look around and turn around and the matches are on the table behind me. And I grab the matches and that was enough time for the grill to just completely fill up with gas, right? Uh, just It's just full of gas. And I strike a match, put the match in there and it just goes and just completely like engulfed me with flame for like, half a second but it was enough to like singe all my beard hairs and like my my eyebrows and my mustache and in fact my eyelashes you know i had closed my eyes when the flame kind of went and it singed my eyelashes together so that i had to actually use my fingers and like peel my eyelids apart because my lashes were like fused together and it didn't hurt me at all but like I looked around and I was like I really hope somebody saw that and like nobody had seen it there was no witnesses and I was so sad because I just wanted somebody to just be like oh my god but it didn't happen uh but that was that was wild I, I I think about that story a lot and especially every time I grill I'm very careful about not doing that again but being at Noah's Ark in Colorado was just amazing if you've never really spent any time in Colorado especially in the Arkansas River Valley it's just magical I mean it's just pure magic the river's like ice cold there's class four and maybe even class five rapids there it's beautiful I mean pure beauty and you know, so that's how I spent my summer. I was washing dishes, hanging out at the Red House, going rock climbing with these guys, going hiking, grilling burgers, meeting all these new people. And occasionally I would get to jump in a boat and actually whitewater raft a little bit. Uh, anytime one of the guides, you know, had an extra spot in their boat, you know, they would let one of us other guys, you know, jump in with them and just kind of have a good time. So it was amazing. It, it was magical. And it was just so fun to just experience the world in a new way. So Colorado's amazing, I'm having a great time. And at some point in the summer, I get a call from my dad. And he calls to tell me, hey listen, I don't want you to change your plans, but I want you to know that your mom has cancer. And I was kinda like, you know, whoa. Um, nobody likes to hear that, 
And it's, you know, it's a scary thing. She had breast cancer. And it was just like, you know, shocking. But my dad's so good about kind of explaining things and talking through things. And he really did convince me. He said, look, she's going to treatment. Breast cancer is, you know, scary, but it's not the end of the world like it used to be. And we think she's going to be just fine. And he said, look, just stay out in Colorado. I'll keep you posted. Don't come home. You wouldn't be able to do anything for us here anyway. We're just going to treatment and everything's going to be fine, you know. So I said, okay, but, you know, keep me posted. And then as the summer went on, I'm kind of checking in with my mom and it sounds like she's going to be okay. But I get another call from my dad and by some bizarre twist of events, my dad ends up getting cancer at the same time. And he called me and had to tell me that as well. And what had happened to him was he had a tumor that they originally thought was in his lung, but it, it turned out to be like in between his lungs. And at this point, I'm just like, okay, screw this. I'm coming home. I'm, I'm not going to just stay out here and have fun while literally both of my parents have cancer. And it, it really is hard to communicate the weight of that. But you can imagine for a second, if you've ever had a parent with cancer, imagine both parents having cancer at the exact same time. And it was really, it was really scary. It was definitely the heaviest thing I had ever dealt with in my life at that point. And so I decided I'm coming home. So I pack up all my stuff. I quit my job. I told my boss at Noah's Ark in, in the kitchen, I said, look, here's the deal. I got to go home and, and check on my parents and make sure that they're going to be okay. And at least just provide some encouragement, some love, some comedy relief, whatever I could do to help. But I wanted to be around for that. So I pack up all my stuff and I move home. I drive back to Little Rock with all my stuff in the car and I move back into my bedroom. And now my job for the rest of the summer is basically just help out however I can. And of course, my little brother and my little sister were still at home. I don't remember uh, how old they were at the time, but they were, they were just in school, you know, they were just kids. And, you know, they didn't need a lot of help or anything, but they had to be scared too. And so I kind of felt like my job was just to be like, you know, the moral support of the whole family, which, you know, it wasn't heavy for me. I mean, it was heavy, but it was, I was happy to do that. You know, it was like all I could figure out to do. As the summer kind of continues, it turns out that my mom's going to be okay. She ended up having to have a, a double mastectomy, which is sad and difficult, but not the end of the world. Um, and, and she's, happy and healthy and alive and well right now. And I'm so thankful that, that she made it through that. But the focus then kind of shifted to my dad. Uh, my mom's recovering. Of course, my dad's in the middle of chemo and radiation therapy and all that stuff. And it was like they, they got after him aggressively with the, the chemotherapy and everything. And all I remember is him drinking like all this nasty drinks and stuff, these, these solutions that he would have to drink. I don't have any idea why, but he would always be mixing up all this stuff and going into these radiation therapy things and coming home and, and just looking awful. And, you know, my dad's a big guy. Uh, he's about six foot three and he's always kind of had a belly and he lost a lot of weight and he got real skinny and he just lost all of his energy. And for some of you guys that might know what that's like to see, you know, Superman get hit with kryptonite. And, and that's what it felt like. My dad's always been Superman. And and all of a sudden he discovered the kryptonite, which, which just, you know, chemotherapy nearly kills everyone. I mean, that's kind of the whole point is they basically poison you 
to kill the cancer. And in the meantime, they end up killing just about all that's left of you. And it's just devastating. So he got skinny, he got weak. And I remember he would like wake up in the mornings and just kind of like slowly move downstairs and like move to the couch and have to drink his nasty drink. And I'd just be sitting in there. And I didn't know what to do, but just kind of hang out with him. And on the days when he had to go in for his radiation therapy, I remember he would always come downstairs and he would go, Jake, today is the worst day of my life. And I just like believed him, you know? It, it was just so obvious that he was just getting slowly killed by the cancer and by the chemo. And one day my dad came downstairs and he always tried to stay upbeat, you know, to the best of his ability. But when you're going through something like that, it really is hard to stay upbeat. And he came downstairs one day and he goes, Jake, I need you to shave my head. And I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, and I'm trying to have a good attitude and be upbeat. And I'm joking with him and trying to trying to keep the mood light, you know? And my dad always had this beautiful, like, you know, he looked a lot like Tom Selleck in his younger years, almost indistinguishable in the 80s to Tom Selleck. So he had this great hair, big mustache. And so it was kind of sad to see the, the beautiful hair go away, but I took him upstairs um, to his bathroom and he put down a towel on the floor, kind of rolled it up, and he got down on his knees in front of the sink and he kind of put his arms up on the, uh, you know, on the, on the counter right in front of the sink and just like rested his chin on his forearms, you know, right in front of the sink. And they have this big, you know, full size mirror right there. And so, you know, there I am, I'm looking in the mirror and there's me standing up and there's my small, skinny, weak, sad, dying father right in front of me. And I'm, supposed to shave his head. And again, it was it was sad, it was heavy, it was crushing, but I was also proud to be able to be there for it. And so I get the clippers out and I start to buzz off, you know, the bulk of his hair. And, and that was easy, you know, and it, it was coming out a lot anyway. So I buzz it all off, you know, and you know, we're just talking and whatever, and I'm trying to keep it light. And I buzz it down to as much as I can. And then I was gonna shave it, you know, with, with just a, a razor. So I put, uh, you know, shaving cream all over. And, you know, he's still sitting there. And, and generally, like, his eyes are closed throughout this um, because he's just weak, you know. he All he really wants to do is sleep. And so I start to shave his head. And as I pull the razor back across his scalp, his skin on his scalp just begins to tear. And, man, that was a heavy moment. And it was really, uh, you know, in, in some ways it felt like a transition of power, you know, where Superman is dying and Superman Jr. has got to take the reins. And I was not ready to be Superman. But there's a father-son thing or, or even just a parent-child thing that's a big deal when you start to feel or recognize that your parent is mortal, especially when you have such great parents like I've had. And just pulling that razor back across his head, oh, and just feeling that skin tear, it was just devastating. And my dad, I've never seen him complain about pain in his life. And if it hurt him, I don't know. Maybe his whole head was numb. I don't know. 
but God, it hurt me to have to pull that thing back and I ended up having to be so gentle to not tear his skin. Um, but, but I couldn't help it in some ways. It was just a heavy moment. And, and that was really the beginning of the second half of the year, which was also pretty rough. Um, you know, so anyway, I finished shaving my dad's head and, you know, he keeps going through chemo treatment and everything. And, and thank God he's fine now. It, everything worked. He beat the cancer. He ended up getting cancer again, beat that. I'll tell you more about that when it comes up later. But, you know, the chemo didn't kill Superman. He's fine. And he's still Superman. He's still my hero. I love you, Dad. Uh, but that was a heavy moment. And again, it was the beginning of a rough time. So uh, in the fall, we start looking at going back to Fayetteville for the beginning of my sophomore year. And we had kind of a couple of happy moments um, here and there, but overall the rest of the year was rough. We had rented a house in Fayetteville that was being built um, over the summer. Uh, we, we like pre-rented it before it was finished. And I was going to live with, you know, a whole group of my friends. There was like five of us that were going to live in this house. Some that I had grown up with and a couple guys that, that we had sort of recently become friends with. But as the fall semester starts to approach, we get a call from uh, the landlord of the house that we had rented. And he said, look, I got good news and bad news. Your house is not going to be ready by the time the fall semester starts. That's the bad news. The good news is... I'm going to let you use my lake house on Beaver Lake until the house is ready. And he said, it'll probably be about a month. Would you be willing to accept that deal? And of course we were like bummed out. You know, we don't want to be up on Beaver Lake. I mean, lake houses are cool, but we wanted to be in town, be in the house we were excited about. You know, we've been dreaming about this cool brand new place and we're going to have all these parties and stuff. And so we were really bummed out about that. But what are we going to do? You know, so we said, sure, we'll take the lake house, you know. So we go up to Fayetteville and, you know, we, we drive up to the lake house. We got the key from the guy, go up there, and it's like 30 minutes outside of town. And we pull up to this place and it's like the real world house from MTV. It's like bad to the bone, just huge, massive, like lake house mansion. Everybody's got their own room with like huge beds in it. There was a big screen TV, like a massive TV a sound system that went all throughout the house, this huge deck on the back that had like sound system out there and porch swings and stuff and rocking chairs and a big old grill. And, and it was like fully furnished, beautiful, pristine, just badass lake house. And here me and my four buddies just like move into it. And you know, we like, first thing we do is like plug in the Nintendo and get that going on the big screen TV and we're playing Mario Kart and, you know, stocking up the fridge and all this stuff. And just, I mean, it was really fun. It was kind of the last like really fun part of that year. And it was just so cool to just be out there. And so all of our friends start to kind of come back to the town and stuff. You know, we had gotten there about a week before classes started just to kind of get settled in and everything. And as the week went on, you know, more people start to move into town and stuff. And so we're talking to each other and we decide like, hey, let's have a big like back to school party at our lake house and kind of just like show everybody, you know, where we're living and everything and kind of just live this, live it up because the landlord had told us, like he really felt bad about the house not being ready. And so he said like, you guys have a good time, do whatever you want out there. 
you know, take care of the property, but I don't mind if you have friends over and stuff. So we're like, sweet, we're going to have some friends over. And so we start kind of planning this party and we start to kind of make a list of people to call. And one of us had this genius idea where we're sitting around and we go, hang on a second, time out. Let's don't invite any guys to this party. Let's just invite girls only. (laughs) And so we called up a friend of ours, um, this girl named Mindy, uh, who was uh, a PiFi in the PiFi sorority there. And she was, you know, also going to be a sophomore that year. And we said, hey, we're having a party at our lake house. She had been out there once already. She was just kind of friends with all of us. And we said, we want to have a party out here. Do you want to bring the entire PiFi like pledge class to our house for a party? And like any other PiFis that you want to bring? And she's like, yeah, you know, so <laughs> that's what happened. So we had this party and there was about 45 girls there and like seven guys. And it was awesome. It was literally like something out of a movie. We were just like walking through this house. All these girls started to show up and me and my buddies are just like high-fiving. Like this is the most genius plan we've ever had. And, you know, we got music, we got the grill going. We're having a good time. And really, again, at that point in time, None of us were drinking. There was literally no alcohol. It might sound crazy to some, but just imagine a really fun party um, and there just happens to be no alcohol there. That may not be easy to imagine, but it was awesome. And we really didn't know any different. None of us had started drinking yet and none of us were 21 years old for sure. Um, Not that that mattered to most college students. So we have this amazing party and everybody's there. And it's like, I just have this picture in my mind It was like this snapshot of like, this is what college is supposed to be like, you know? It was just amazing. And again, and that was really the last really happy memory I have of that year. And it was like the night before uh, classes started. There were some happy moments here and there, but the rest of it was pretty rough. And I'll tell you why. The very next thing that happened, um, I had actually gotten sick and I was just like home with with the cold. And one of my roommates named Brian, he actually didn't have classes that day. And so he and I were the only ones at the house. Everybody else had gone to, to class. And Brian came down. My, my bedroom was downstairs. And Brian came down and woke me up at like 8 o'clock in the morning one morning. And he goes, dude, you got to come upstairs. And I was like, what? What? what why? You know? And he goes, a plane just hit the World Trade Center in New York City. And I was like, what the hell? But, you know, I was like sick and just woken up and like it didn't really compute in my brain. And so I just like fell back asleep. After a while, Brian comes back down. He's like, dude, you got to wake up. Another plane just hit the other tower. And at that point, of course, it was like, holy shit. Like your whole life just kind of goes out of focus for a second. And you start to go, okay, this is clearly an actual like coordinated attack. So I come upstairs, Brian's sitting there watching the news. Before long, my roommates all came home. You know, I I guess they canceled classes that day. Everybody kind of comes home, we're just watching the news. And if you guys were around at that time, you remember, I mean, this is one of those things that everyone that was around at that time can tell you, I remember where I was when September 11th happened. You know, and it was September 11th, but we weren't calling it that then because that was just the date. There was no name for it and nobody knew who did it. It was a total mystery. In fact, I still have the um, newspaper. They released like a special edition newspaper later that day of just like one section that was just about that. And I still have it. And at the top of it, it's got the date, September 11th, 2001. And this massive photo of the Twin Towers burning and the huge headline, and it just says, who would do this, question mark. 
And it's just so crazy to look back at that and remember there was a period of time when nobody knew if it was Osama bin Laden or not. Nobody knew who it was, you know. There was all kinds of speculation, but nobody had claimed it for like, seems like probably a week or so. Like there was a certain period of time when it was still a little bit of a mystery before bin Laden and the Taliban claimed it. But the rest of that day was just bizarre for all the reasons it's bizarre for everybody. But my brother Hunter, my older brother, previous year had graduated and was living in New York City. He was living in Manhattan at the time. So that was worrisome to me. I didn't know where he worked, really. I didn't know really where the World Trade Center even was. I had never been to New York at that point in time. I didn't know what part of the island it was on, but I know it's the biggest buildings there. And of course they fell down and it's like disaster. You know, it was just, it was just insane. And so I call my parents and I say, hey, have you heard from Hunter? And they're saying, no, they haven't heard from him because all the, um, the the phone lines and everything were all jammed up. Nobody could get into New York City on a phone line and cell phones weren't really much of a thing yet at that time. And they, they were around, but they weren't nearly as, as prevalent as they are today. So there was a period of time where we hadn't heard from Hunter, you know, and New York's a big city, but you know, who knows, right? Anyway, we eventually hear from Hunter and he was fine. And the way he describes it, you know, this is this is his story, but I'll never forget him telling me that he had just been getting ready for work that morning and he was living in the East Village in this little apartment. And he said he was getting ready for work and didn't have the TV or the radio on or anything and didn't have a cell phone, no one was texting, you know? So he just like walked out the door to go to work and like immediately realized like something is dreadfully wrong. And he said he looked down the street and in Manhattan, you could see the World Trade Center from pretty much anywhere because it was so tall. And he saw them, you know, burning or smoking. And he can tell the rest of that story if you know him. But gosh, what a wild and crazy experience. So that was just another just bizarre, terrifying moment. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the monoliths um, from 2001 a space odyssey and for me that was the world trade center i mean you talk about monoliths and it was just so bizarre to me that like there was that connection between the two so anyway you know what do you do you get back to class you know i think they had canceled classes for the rest of that week but you know life picked back up again and you know the country's kind of going to war and stuff and it's like this war on terror and it was just a wild time to to be alive and certainly just to be in college but you know college continues right so Eventually, we move out of the lake house and we move into our rent house. You know, it finally got ready, like, you know, at the end of September. We move into the rent house and it's awesome. You know, back to fun again. We're excited. You know, we move in. You know, when you're when you're a young person in college, it's fun to get your first dorm room, but it's so much cooler to get your first house, you know, because you're parking your car right in front of it and, you know, it's just bigger and better and it was so cool. And we had a lot of friends and stuff and but that was pretty short-lived for me. Um, I don't have a lot of happy memories from being in that house. There were some, but when, when I look back on it, it was overall a rough time for me. My friends and I just kind of began to separate. And that happened because of a lot of different things. Um, they were more into sports, football, I was more into music. And it was a shame, but that really did seem like a legitimate divide between us. You know, I was always going out to see live music because that was what I was into, and they really didn't go with me very much, so I was kind of always going by myself. And even though I wasn't 21 yet, all of the bouncers and bartenders at the bars and music venues got to know who I was, and they, they knew I didn't drink. 
So they would let me in, you know, to shows that were supposed to be 21 and up. And it really wasn't a big deal. In fact, one of the bouncers uh, was also my communications teacher at Dave's on Dixon, which was a fantastic venue if you were in college around that time. I loved going to Dave's. There was always cool stuff going on there. But my roommates didn't really go with me very much. And one night I came home from a show and it was really, really weird. I mean, this was a real tragedy for me. But I pulled into the house, you know, I pulled into the driveway, get out, and I'm walking to the front door. And it was clear that there was some people over, but that wasn't that unusual. And I reached for the front door to go inside, and before I could get to the doorknob, the door bursts open, and one of my roommates just, like, blasts out of the door and, like, falls down on his knees in the flower bed right in front of our house, just totally throwing up, you know? And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know? Like... That's pretty crazy. And, you know, at first I was just laughing like he just threw up until I go inside and I realize my roommates are all just completely hammered drunk. And I look around the room and there's all there's all these beer cans scattered everywhere. And it's like super obvious that they're all drunk. Right. But they're all holding a beer. And when I come in, they all kind of hide their beer, which was like the most pathetic move ever, because it was like look, the jig is up. Like you, I get it. You're all drinking. You don't have to hide your one beer from me. There's 30 empties for each one of you guys. And I just like, I don't know, talked to him for a second and went in my room and shut the door. And I was hurt by that for two reasons, really. One was, you know, we didn't drink. Like we had this whole thing about how we don't drink. It was just like devastating to me that they had all kind of given up on that plan and, you know, say what you will about it. But it was just a bummer to me that they had made that decision. And the other thing about it was was that they left me out. You know, they didn't tell me anything about it. And apparently they had been hiding it from me for weeks. And you know, it just sucks to have your friends, your best friends all get together and either consciously or subconsciously just agree to hide it from me. And so I was just so bummed out about that. And I was already like sad that we were kind of growing apart and it just really sucked. And that was just kind of the beginning of the end. For that year for me, for, you know, being close with those guys anymore. And that was really about midway through the fall semester. So now I still have like October and November and most of December to just go to school there. And and I remember I went and had lunch with one of my friends, um, not one of my roommates, but one of the guys that was, you know, drinking a lot with them uh, one day. And I said, hey, man, um, let me ask you a question. Uh, what's with the drinking thing? And he was cool. You know, he, he shot me straight. He said, look, man, I understand how you feel about it. You have every reason to be upset about it. But we're just going to be drinking now. You know, it's just we're going to be drinking. So hopefully that's cool with you. But if it's not, we're just going to be doing it. And I was just like, okay, well, thanks for being honest with me, but gosh, that kind of sucks, you know? And I don't even know if I would have joined in with them if they had asked me. I probably wouldn't have. And that's probably why they didn't ask me. They didn't want any judgment. And it wasn't really as much about that. It was just, I was bummed out that I was left out. And so for the rest of that semester, I was just pretty bummed out. I actually had started dating Mindy, uh, the same Mindy that we were, you know, the Pi Five friend that we all knew. And she was so cool and so great. And her and I got along really well, and we were truly best friends. We just had a lot of fun together. We just laughed a lot together. And it was just so great for me to have a friend, you know, because I just felt so alone. And, and I just kind of dove into the misery of just, like, nobody loves me. I'm this sad sack, and I'm just going to walk around being sad and, like, listen to Bob Dylan music and just be the saddest sad bastard on the planet. 
and, and that's what I was, man. It was awful. Um, but I like convinced myself that I liked it. You know, I convinced myself that like, oh, this is who I am now. I'm this troubled soul that's so deep and mysterious, you know, and that was kind of my shtick for a while. And I would like spend my time at Barnes and Noble, like reading poetry and writing and, you know, smoking a pipe and and I think what it was was just me trying to just cope with my situation, you know, and pretend like I wanted to be like that, when in reality, what I really wanted was to just have friends and have fun with my friends, you know, and it was just a weird time where I just didn't really have a lot of friends uh, outside of Mindy, and Mindy was great, but, you know, there's no substitute for your dudes, and this was just a time where I just didn't have a lot of that going on, and so... In the evenings, I would just, uh, you know, go see live music. That was just kind of my thing. I'd, I would go to shows solo, and I would have fun. You know, that was really the highlight of my week was going to see some live music. But it was always just a little bittersweet that I, I wouldn't have anybody with me, you know. And I got to know some of the other people, you know, in the bars and stuff. But it was clear that I didn't really belong with them, and I just felt like I didn't belong much of anywhere. Uh, but I convinced myself that that's what I wanted to be. And I eventually got over that and kind of gained a better perspective on myself and my situation and my proclivities. But at the time, it just sucked. And that was it. And uh, the rest of my semester basically went that way. And I was sick of college. Um, I was sick of everything. I was just bummed out all the time. And the year just kind of ended. And that was that. And 2001 was in the past. You know, thank God I couldn't get far enough away from it. I was just looking forward to something new the next year. And the next year was definitely interesting, definitely fun, definitely an improvement. Uh, 2002 was just different. I dropped out of school. I snuck into a gigantic music festival by lying and saying that I was a journalist, um, meeting Trey Anastasio and all kinds of other jam band heroes of mine. And also, I came home one day to my house in the summer of 2002 to find more marijuana than I had ever seen in my entire life. And I'm gonna tell you that story next week. So stay tuned, keep listening. I appreciate your support, your love, your attention. And if you like this podcast, please go on to wherever you listen to podcasts and give me a rating. It's fun, it's easy. I know everybody wants a rating, but you love me, I love you. So just give me the rating, it'd be awesome if you did. And hit me with five stars, you know, why not? Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>